Our scripture lesson today uh, comes from the good news according to St. Luke. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus, do you know him? Do you know him? It changes everything. He is coming. Now, isn't it interesting that this most important day of all time is not even recorded in two of the four Gospels? Have you noticed that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two of the four Gospels are silent on what we would call Christmas? Mark and John say nothing about the birth of Jesus. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, it begins not at a manger, but at the river, where the Holy Spirit comes and anoints him and empowers him for ministry. And in the Gospel of John, we we have this theological sermon that starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No shepherds, no wise men, no donkey, no angels, But then we come to Luke. And Luke tells the story from Mary's point of view. Imagine with me how difficult this would be for a young girl, maybe as young as 12, 13, 14 years of age, and a holy messenger comes to her and says, you are going to be pregnant in a time where people kill girls like you for being pregnant without being married. And this is to be good news of great joy for all the people. Luke tells the story from Mary's point of view. There are shepherds and the most unlikely of little girls to bear God himself to the world. And so what Luke wants all of us to know from the angels to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, the working class folks way out in the field to this young girl, Luke wants the whole world to know that Jesus is for, say it with me, everyone. Everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And and Luke painstakingly takes us through uh, one of the most beautiful stories ever written in the history of the world so that everyone would know that Jesus came for you and for everyone you will ever lock eyes with in the rest of your life. And then there's Matthew. Matthew also tells the story, but Matthew comes from a very Jewish perspective. He tells us the story from Joseph's side of the story who now has to deal with what does it mean for my young betrothed fiance to be pregnant and I know it's not mine. What do I do with this? Well, the angel comes to him as well. And in Matthew 1, it says this. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the, say it with me, the prophet. Matthew's going to take great pains to show us that Jesus is who the prophets have claimed that he will be. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is coming just as the prophets foretold. And when, Jesus, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Jesus. Now, this is a name that will change the world. Change the world. 
You see, Matthew tells us Joseph's side of the story, and he, and he starts to look at the prophets. He's recalling the prophet Isaiah, and in Isaiah 9, 6, it says this, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. All authority rests upon his shoulders, and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of this wrapped up in a small baby born to Mary. So Matthew demonstrates that Jesus is, is not just another baby, but he's the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the people have been looking for for hundreds and hundreds and now thousands of years. So you get nothing in Mark, nothing um, in John in, in terms of the Christmas story, but there it is in Luke and Matthew, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. So here, here's the one detail that, that these two Gospels include, and that is the name of the child. They both zero in. They, they differ on wise men or kings or magi or shepherds or angels or the way that goes. But when it comes to the name of the child, when it comes to the name above every name, when it comes to the name of Jesus, they focus in and they say, this you do not miss. Jesus. What does that name mean? What does it mean? Jesus. You see, names are super important. Super important. She will bear a child, and you are to name him, what? Say it with me, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means, God saves. And in Luke, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him, say it with me, Jesus. This we cannot miss, this we must agree. Now, it's been a while for Chantel and I since we've had a baby, about 17 years. Some of you are, are having babies just last week. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Do you remember the joy and the trepidation when you have to figure out you've got to name that thing? What are you going to call this little bundle of joy and personhood? What, how, do you, how do you do that? What, what's a good name? How do you pick a name? Well, we, had, we, we decided we were going to have two boys. And our youngest, it came time to name him. Uh, and I, I want you to see him. He was a man of the sea. He loved the beach. He loved the wind and the waves. And so we called him Noah. Noah. And he just, he just see, I just love that photo. He just kind of holds his essence. That's, that's who our youngest is. He's 17 now, but at one time he looked like that and we called him Noah. Now you say, well, why would you call him Noah? Well, we wanted the richness and the fullness of a faithful Old Testament name, a strong name, Noah. And we wanted a faithful new name of the New Testament, Andrew, the very first follower of Jesus. And so we call him Noah Andrew. And we didn't want him to sound like everybody else. So we went back to the popular baby names of 1999. And if he was a girl, people were calling the girls Emily and Hannah and Alexis and Sarah and Samantha and Ashley, Madison, Taylor, Jessica, Elizabeth, Alyssa and Lauren. These are the top 12 baby names back in 1999 when he was born. And then we looked for boys and it was Jacob and Michael and Matthew and Joshua, Nicholas, Christopher, Andrew, Joseph, Daniel, Tyler, Brandon, Ryan. That was the top 12. We're like, Noah's nowhere on that. We want him to be unique and special and different. And, and so Noah in 1999 was 24th on the list. I didn't know a single Noah around. This year in 2017, you know the number one baby name? Noah. We are trendsetters. Thank you very much. You can't swing a cat without hitting a Noah these days. And that's how it is, isn't it? You think, oh, we're going to be new. We're going to be different. We're going to do this. And by the time you get to preschool, everybody's got your kid name. I don't know how it works. It just happens to be that way. I don't know what it is. You can do your research. It doesn't matter. But there's something about a name, isn't there? 
It matters what you call a name. If somebody knows your name, there's a power in that. When people yell out Mark, I go, what, what? They may be talking to me, they may not be talking to me. Frederick Buechner said this, I, I, I love the way he writes. He says that in Exodus 3, Moses asked God his name, and God hasn't had a moment's peace since. God this, God that, Yahweh, 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 Jehovah. You see, names in the Bible are super important, especially when they get changed. Because when, you, when your name changes in the Bible, something special is about to happen. We're supposed to pay attention. Abram becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. In the New Testament, Jesus renamed Simon to Peter, Petros in Greek, right where we get the word petroleum. You will be my rock, my, my Peter rock, my Petros, my rock. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 16. This Peter who will deny him and denounce him and you know, walk on water for just a short time and blub, blub, blub down the way. So we come down to the name of Jesus. What's so special about that name? The hymn says, kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. But there's something about that name, Jesus. What's so special about that name, Jesus? Well, it can sort of get lost today because we can get so used to it. But Jesus, um, in first century Palestine, was the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And of course, that's still true today, but we don't resonate with Joshua in the same way that the people of Jesus' day would have. This was a name of hope. It was of great hope to every Jew because they knew the story of Joshua. In the same way that I might know the story of Noah and the ark and his faithfulness, people knew the story of Joshua and that, what that meant to their people. It was the name of Moses' successor, Joshua. Moses, the one who had seen them in slavery and lifted them up out of slavery and led them across the Red Sea out into the wilderness. And it was Joshua who had led them to the promised land following Moses' death. So the first thing we know about Joshua was he was born into slavery. He was born into a very difficult life. And he looked to Moses and to God to save him from a very horrible life with whips at his back. As he made bricks out of straw. And in those days, before he left Egypt, he was known as Hosea. His parents had named him Hosea because they were looking for salvation. Because they had the back-breaking work of being a slave in Egypt. So they named him Hosea. It was a name of hope. A name looking out to something they could not yet see, but they longed for and they waited for and they prayed for and they hoped for. So they named him Hosea. May God save us one day. Hosea, Hosea, salvation, God save us. You see, the Lord said to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan now that they have exited Egypt. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them leading men among Israelites. This Hosea was one of them. And Moses sends him. One of the best of the best. And he was from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. And these were the names of men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses changed the name of Hosea, son of Nun, to Joshua. And everybody's ears should perk up now. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. His name used to be Hosea, now he's Joshua. What's going on? You see, Moses changes Hosea's name of salvation. And he puts God's name before it. He takes Jehovah, Yahweh, God's name, plus Hosea, and he puts them together, and you get Yehoshua, or Yeshua, Yeshua, or Joshua. And this is the name that is given 
to Mary. This is the name that is given to Joseph. This is the name that will be above every name because what it means is the Lord is salvation. Not just salvation, but the Lord is salvation. God is salvation. Salvation comes through God alone. This God and salvation have come into the earth in the baby Jesus and is coming to you. And of course, that's exactly what, Jesus, what Joshua did, saving them from the wilderness and leading them into the promised land of milk and honey, something that not even Moses himself was allowed to do. But in this time and through these trials, it wasn't as easy as we might think. In Numbers 14, yes, they have gone and spied out the land, and yes, Joshua is a leading uh, mover and shaker in those days, and he's saying, yes, this is good land, but the people didn't want to hear it. The people did not want to receive the new life that God had provided for them. They were afraid. And in Numbers 14, the story continues and it foreshadows the life before Joshua, the life before the Christ child. And Joshua, which means God saves, son of Nun and Caleb were among those who had spied out the land. They tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. They were ready to go. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they were very big. People were afraid. They looked at this great land and they were afraid. And Joshua says their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us, Emmanuel. Do not fear them. But the whole, say it with me, congregation threatened to what? Stone them. To stone them. You understand this? They, God has freed them from Egypt. They have exited. They have seen the land that God has promised. And Joshua and other spies have gone out and they've seen the land. And they come back and they say, it's ours. We're going to take it. It's land filled with milk and honey. Let's go. And they go, no, 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 no. No. Wilderness is just fine with us, Joshua. Those people are big over there. Something bad might happen to us. And look what the Lord says to Moses. How long? How long will this people despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? Later in Jesus' life, they will ask Jesus, well, what should we say? And Jesus says, look, if they're not going to believe the prophets, if they're not going to believe what God has done here, here, and here, they're not going to believe me even if I'm raised from the dead. You see, there's something in humanity, there's something in all of us that God says, here it is, take a step, move forward. And we go, no, no, no. We pray, God, save me from this. And God says, okay, go there. And we go, no, not like that. Save me another way. Really, Lord, if you could just save me while I sit and watch TV in my lazy boy, that'd be great. So you do it and I'm going to sit here and do nothing. And God says, no, 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 here it is. I've taken you out of Egypt, taken you into the wilderness. There's the promised land. Go, it'll be fine. And the congregation says, no. And if you try to make us, we're going to kill you. We are so hardwired for staying put, for status quo, for not moving, for staying right where we are, stuck where we are. And God says, go. And the people of God so often say, no. And Joshua, God is salvation, comes to them and says, he tears his clothes. He says, people, come on. It's right here. It's right in front of you. And before we get too just, you know, disgusted with these people we find 
in the Bible, we have to look at ourselves. We have to look at the things that God is calling us to, the things that God says, have life and have it abundantly, and this is the way you live into it. Things like silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and putting others in front of yourself, being people of generosity and care and humility. Like, whoo, God, you, you do that. And we, we have this idea of what salvation looks like, of what we think God is going to do and, and how we're going to live into it. And we, and we lift up these figures and we, we, we place our trust in these figures and they let us down. They are imposters. They are not who we think they're going to be. And the story doesn't go the way we think it's going to go. And it's painful and it's destructive and it hurts our hearts. And in the biblical stories and in our life, we come to these moments where we thought it was going to go this way and it went that way. And we're like, God, what are you doing? This isn't making any sense to me. This is not how this is supposed to go. If you were real, if you were really a savior, then this would not happen. And as your pastor, there are so many stories that I can't really share with you, certainly not by name. But I have people that I deeply care about and they have hope in Christ or they used to. And they say things to me like, I prayed to God to heal my marriage, and it's not healing. I prayed to God that my spouse would be healed of cancer, and they died. I, I don't know how to forgive my family member who assaulted my child. What do I do with this? This is not... Go along with the carols and the candy and the presents. Where are you, God, in this? Where are you? And if we're not careful, we will be in that exact spot with Jesus. And unlike Santa, Jesus will turn to us as wide as he can, as he did on the cross, and give himself up again for you and welcome you wherever you are with every hurt and with every pain and with every piece of vitriol that you have within you and he will welcome it all and make it die on the cross if you will allow it if you will allow it if you're a person who tweets on your phone i i want you to share this message with whoever will hear it that no matter what you've done no matter what's been done to you god is for you god is for you will you say that with me God is for you, not against you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. This is what it means for Jesus to be the savior of the entire world, of the entire world, for him to have the name that is above every name, that he is truly a savior, Christ the King. Now, this would have been a shocking statement in Jesus' day because everybody knew that Jesus wasn't the name above all names. Caesar Augustus was the name above all names. Augustus was his name. Caesar was the title emperor. If you were to look up the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. The entire world. And, and we write, read over that Christmas after Christmas, but who in the world has the power to say that every person on the planet must be registered? Now that's a name. And it's not the name of Jesus. It's the name of Caesar Augustus. That's the name that everybody knew. They didn't know the name Jesus. You see, the name Jesus in those days was like the name George. And they say, you know, 
Jesus of Nazareth. That's like us saying, you know, George from Cashin. I'm like, George from Cashin? You know, Tom and Nancy's boy, the one that has the furniture shop on Main. What? This we know. Caesar Augustus, who can make every person on the planet enroll at a whim. The leader of the world as we know it. We know that name. What about George from Cashin? I don't have anything against Cashin, friends. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. You see, this man was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, the Julius Caesar. This is the man who had defeated Antony and Cleopatra in 31 BC. This is the man who ruled the world when Jesus was born. And he ruled until 14 AD. People knew this man. But I would submit to you that at least for many of us in this room, the only reason we know that man is because we know the man, Jesus. I mean, I couldn't have told you who Caesar Augustus was if it weren't for Jesus. That's the only reference I have to him. In those days, a decree went out from this guy because the Savior of the world was coming in a town not far away that nobody knew of. This Jesus, God saves So for our action steps, friends, I want you to read the Christmas story anew. I want you to read the Christmas story out of Luke 2 again this week. And remember the baby born is a savior. Yes, a counselor. Yes, a healer. Yes, a teacher. But more than all of that, he is the savior of the entire world. He is Messiah, Christ the Lord. And in Luke 2, it says it like this. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Seriously, people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you what kind of news? Good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior, the Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord. Never forget that, friends. This Messiah is for you. And it is this name that you can cry out to in any situation. From time to time, people will will tell me these stories that are really more than I can bear. And they say, what what do I do? And, and, And when everything else fades away, this is the only thing I know to tell them. Cry out to the name of Jesus. Seriously, if you have gotten to the end of your rope and you've you've seen a counselor and, and you've gone to the doctor and you've done everything you know to do, friends, there is only one name left to cry out to and it is the name above every name and it's the name of Jesus. With all that I am, just say, Jesus, save me. That's what you've come to do. Save me. Help me live into that salvation. Save me and follow Jesus' example for all the world. And you say, okay, so Jesus is going to save me. Well, what do I do with that? Paul writes to the early church in Philippi. He says, this is, this is what it is to follow Jesus. This is what it is to ask him to come and live inside you. And it looks like this. Do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, humility, true humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. There's something really beautiful and healing about that. When we get... That our eyes off ourselves and onto others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, God himself, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. No, you never see that in the scripture. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross for all people. Therefore God also highly exalted him, lifted him up, and gave him the name that is above every name. Well above Caesar Augustus. Above every other name you could ever think of. There's the name of Jesus. So that the name of this name, Jesus, every knee should bend. 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue, every knee and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, God of all, to the glory of God the Father. This is who Jesus is, the Savior of the entire world, your Savior if you will receive him as such this day. And you say, okay, I'm, I've, I've heard some of this stuff before. You know, why, why are you preaching that this week? Because here's, here's the reality that none of us really like to think about but that it is my duty to share with you and remind you, at least weekly. And that is, you are an eternal being that will live forever. However, that is housed in a very temporary shell of a body. You and I, and every person you know, will die. We just don't know when. The question is, what happens next? The question is, does the name of Jesus live within you so you may live again? So that others will live again. So the Spirit of God moves on into the world over and over and over again. Yes, our bodies will die. But Christ's Spirit, if it lives in you, gives you life forever. Joy forever. Real life in this life and the next. And real life not only for you, but for all the world. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Invite him in to your life today. Say yes to your new name, Christian, which means Christ follower, that Christ lives in me. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, your name is beautiful and special. You are the Lord of salvation, our God who saves. I am so grateful that you entered this hostile world to save us, to save me. And that is good news. May the wonder of your name fill my heart with joy this Christmas and always. In your precious name we pray. Amen.